everybody. We are continuing a series called You Asked For It, where we're answering questions that were submitted by Kalos Church and answering some real things. And I'm so excited. We have a, a question that's kind of controversial today. And the question is, according to the Bible, listen to this, according to the Bible, are women allowed to preach? All right. So we're going to be answering this question, and there's a lot of different denominations, and there's a long tradition within the church that has uh, prohibited women from preaching and leading and teaching and things like that. And so we're going to dive right into this. How many of you guys are excited to answer this question and look into the scriptures? How many of you guys are kind of nervous and you're afraid? What is going to happen in this place? All right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll dive into this message. So, dear Father, I thank you so much what you're doing here at Kalos Church, what you're doing here in the Seattle region. And and Lord, we just pray that your word would come alive. And Lord, uh, above all, Lord, I pray that there would be love in this place. Lord, even if we disagree on certain things, Lord, I pray that we would all agree and have unity when it comes to love. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, on Facebook, we advertise. How many of you guys found out about Kalos through Facebook? Come on, somebody. And so uh, we advertise a lot on Facebook, and we get these comments quite frequently. And I, I put them into three categories of the typical comments we get on our Facebook threads. And I have had to delete quite a bit of comments and hide them because it gets vulgar really fast. And uh, the three categories are this. Number one, uh, you're, you, you're not Christian. You can't be a Christian because you're brown and you have a beard. You have to be a Muslim. It's just, it's just science. It's just common fact. I don't know how to respond to that. I'm like, I, I love Jesus, though. No, you don't. You're proud. You have a beard. You don't love Jesus. Stop pretending. I'm like, okay, that's one category. Number two category, this is kind of on the opposite spectrum. It's uh, you're not black enough. I'm not going to come to your church. I don't know how to respond to that. I've never been accused of not being brown or black enough. <laughs> how, do, I don't, how do you even have a debate at that point? Yes, I am. <laughs> you're, you're not dark enough. All right, I will, I'll do my best, but this is, this is my body. Most people are proud of it. Why can't you be? <laughs> and uh, the third category we often get is uh, how, how, how can you have a woman pastor and preacher? Pastor Amrita, can you raise your hand? And so... Come on, somebody. And uh, they're like, uh, haven't you read the Bible? How can you have a pastor that's a woman? How can you have a pastor uh, that's female? How can she be a leader, a teacher? How can she do any of these things? Haven't, haven't you read the New Testament? That's just not okay. And so those are the three categories we often get. And uh, thank you just right now for those of you who have defended us on Facebook I've had some people at Kalos Church, raise your hand if you've defended one of us on, on social media. Uh, some funny defenses, like people have said, uh, you know, that's not a good-looking beard. People at Kalos Church have been like, no, Pastor Pradeepan has a great-looking beard. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> has defended us being dark-skinned enough. Weird defense, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, and uh, it's just amazing to see these arguments. And so we're going to just go straight into this question from the scriptures. And so with this long tradition of denominations and churches that have said yeah, uh, women can't teach or preach or lead or oversee or prophesy or do any of these things, uh, typically the scriptures come from 
one of two passages that they're referring to. The first one I want to read is 1 Corinthians 14, and it says this, Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Not a lot of amens this morning. All right. The second scripture that's commonly cited is 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 12. It says this. Likewise, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who pro profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submission. Submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And all the women said, hey. <laughs> Where do you guys stand? All right. <laughs> and so there, these are the two main passages that people have a difficult time. And we're going to jump right into this. And we have to ask ourselves, if we take these scriptures at face value, a couple of questions we have to ask, and we can put this on the screen. A question when we're looking at this, if we're reading the scriptures and looking at women in the modern American church, we have to ask ourselves, why do we allow women to braid their hair, wear pearls, wear gold, wear costly clothing, talk, preach, lead, and ask questions in church. And in fact, the funny thing to me is that according to the scripture, women in this church couldn't even ask the question in church if they could speak. If we follow this at face value. And obviously there's something going on. One in 11 Protestant pastors are women in America. In the last 25 years, the amount of women's senior pastors have tripled in America. We have, you know, famous people like Joyce Myers or Beth Moore, Lisa Turkhurst, Amritha Jeeva. We got some amazing <laughs> women preachers. How many of you guys just appreciate Pastor Amritha? I feel like... I feel like there's a lot of love for you this morning. <laughs> and so, obviously, Kalos Church, we have some amazing leaders that are women. People leading Bible studies, like Joy Arona here, leading a Bible study on Thursdays. And we have some powerful women who are really taking over some great leadership positions. You know, we have, like, Taylor in the media team, Rachel back there with... She just handed off operations, but she's on the lead team. We have Linda Ho. We really have celebrated and empowered women here at Kalos Church. But is that okay if we're looking at the scriptures? And so we really need to answer that. And just before I get into really examining the scriptures, I want to say we at Kalos Church fully believe in women preachers and leaders. We fully endorse this and actually believe it's part of our calling to empower women to be all that God has called them to be, to help them walk into their destiny, to not just have gifts that they can't use and they are frustrated. We really feel like it's part of our responsibility if we see that the scripture is saying this, to not just hide and really wonder if we should ever address it. But we think it's really powerful when we as a community to say, Hey, women, walk in your calling. <laughs> women, walk in your destiny. Women, you have something to offer. But we can't just do this without looking at the scripture seriously. And so I have a couple of things that I want to ask and 
as we examine the scripture, I hope it will bring a different conversation to the table of saying women can't preach. So the first question I want to ask when I look at the scripture is, what is cultural? You know, there are cultural contexts to the scriptures that we read. The scriptures weren't written in America it was written thousands of years ago in a different time, a different culture, to a different audience. So it's really important for us to understand things in context. You know, for me, though, if you spend enough time with me, you'll realize I love to take things out of context. It is just so satisfying. Like, for example, let me say a phrase in this place that's a little out of context, but 100% true. I married Zack Snyder. Zach, could you raise your hand? Would you affirm that word? <laughs> I also married Becca Snyder. <laughs> it's true, Becca. Becca, raise your hand if it's true. Thank you so much. Why are you hesitating? I'm trying to illustrate something. <laughs> so taking out of context, you're like, wow, what? is going on. I thought Zach and Becca were married to each other, not to Pradeepin. Well, I officiated their wedding. They asked me, hey, will you marry us at the ceremony? And I said, I do. <laughs> you know, but out of context, you're like, what is going on? You know, there's this game we play. I've played it since college days, I think. But when someone says something out of context, and it sounds like really dramatic, you say this word, copy. <laughs> and the rule of the game is, if someone says a phrase, like, I married Zack Snyder, someone could say, copy to me, and then at any moment in life, they can say, paste. And I have to say that phrase at that moment, no matter what. That's a fun game you can play with yourselves, but it's the power of taking things out of context. And in the scriptures, there are times where we take things out of context. I heard uh, this joke the other day. It says, why did the unemployed man get excited while looking through his Bible? He thought he saw a job. Little Bible humor for the book of Job. You're welcome. In conclusion, just kidding. <laughs> and so taking things out of context sets us up for some weird scriptural ideals and things like that. I mean, people throughout the Bible Belt in America used the Bible for arguing slavery. I mean, slavery was very strong in places where the Bible was very strong, and people would use scriptures to justify why slavery existed. So it tells you if you take things out of context, you can do some pretty damaging things, amen? And so it's important for us to look at the scripture about women not speaking in the church and try to figure out what is going on here. And so three things I want us to look at as we identify, is this whole passage cultural or is all of it timeless? I want to look at three things. The first thing I want to look at is this. He talks about in Timothy... He talks about women are not allowed to wear braided hair, pearls, gold, or costly clothing. So that means no Abercrombie and Fitch for you guys, all right? I don't know if that's costly clothing. 
I wear the same cardigan like every week. <laughs> uh, and so what, what is the context of that? Well, Paul is talking to Timothy, who is pastoring a church in a city called Ephesus. And in this city, there was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was called the Temple of Diana or Artemis. And they were known for a lot of things. And braided hair, pearls, and gold and expensive clothing, at the best case scenario, represented people who are full of pride and full of showing off how wealthy and rich they were. And so by women wearing these expensive things, it was kind of going after the culture. It was going against the culture that Jesus was trying to set for humility and how we aren't taking pride in our earthly riches. And that was the best case scenario for what braids and gold and pearls could represent. Worst case scenario, it represented what the prostitutes of the Temple of Diana look like. And so when you would braid your hair, wear these gold pieces or this jewelry, you're basically saying, I'm a prostitute and I'm open for business. I'm a prostitute and I'm here ready to sell. So we have to ask ourselves, is that cultural or timeless? Well, I would propose that the cultural part is we can wear gold and pearls and costly clothing and people aren't going to assume that we're a prostitute. And this is what Paul is addressing. But I think the principle still stands today that is timeless, that we should not be overly sexual. We should not diminish the sexual gifts God has given us. And we should learn how to present our ways in a way that is more of the biblical ethic. I would say that is more timeless, that we should not dress like our sex is on sale. Amen. And so that, I think, is cultural, not timeless. Another thing about this temple of Diana, like we said, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is that people routinely, as a religious experience, would have sex with temple prostitutes as a way to represent, I'm having a spiritual encounter with God. I'm having sex with this God. And so they're trying to establish a new religion. They're trying to establish the ways of Jesus. And in this temple of Diana, they had all women leadership, all women communicators, all women priests, and things like that. And so as they're Making this new way of faith, they're saying, hey, we kind of have to separate ourselves. If women are usurping or taking leadership from all the positions in the church, people are going to think that we are associated with the Temple of Diana. People are going to assume that we're representing that leadership all the more if we're wearing pearls and gold and costly clothing. People are not going to distinguish us from this temple, which has taken great root and is flourishing in our city. And so I really believe that is part of the cultural uh, dynamic here, that they're trying to distinguish themselves as followers of Jesus. And the third thing I think that makes this timeless is, on the whole, women weren't given a lot of education in this day of age. And so how, how are you going to teach and explain the Bible if you haven't been educated in the Bible and you can't read the letters that have been left for you to explain to the church? And so we have some educated women in this house, amen? We got some smart people. I mean, most of the women here, I guarantee, are smarter than me. <laughs> and in this day and age, though, these women were not as educated. It was kind of frowned upon. It w they were not given the opportunities we have today. So Paul is saying, hey, like, if they're not educated, how should they be able to teach? And he actually says something a little controversial, where a lot of women were not permitted to learn. He gives them instructions for learning 
giving them an opportunity to learn these scriptures, and in my idea, so that one day that they could teach it. And so if these things are cultural and not timeless, we have to ask ourselves as the church, why do we call some of these things cultural and one of these things timeless? We say, hey, the women in our church, they can wear pearls. That's not a problem. I've never heard a pastor preach like, hey, take off all your pearls, women. But I've heard pastors say, no women can preach in our church because of what the Bible says. I've never heard a pastor say, like, take off, off, your, take off your gold or you can't, you can't wear costly clothing. No more Prada for you. No more, you know, what, what do you guys wear? Anne's, Anne's Loft? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never, I've never heard a pastor say that before, but we've said these things are cultural. Like, of course women can wear gold, but we say this one thing is timeless. So why do we still prohibit this? And so some questions I have for people who really believe the scriptures are saying women can't teach or preach, some questions I have, I'll put them on here, is why do we allow women to braid their hair, wear gold, wear pearls, and costly clothing? Why isn't anybody battling that? Why isn't that the fight where really proclaiming or what if you don't have a husband how are you going to ask your questions at home with your husband if you don't have one or in jewish culture 13 years old 13 year old bar, bar mitzvah youth they could be considered men past this age and so are mothers allowed to teach their 13 year old sons if that culture thinks 13 year olds can be considered men or can you ask a question uh, your husband a question at home if your church meets at your home so the scripture says, women, if you have a question in church, ask your husband the question at home. But what if your church meets at your home? Which we saw was pretty common in the New Testament. Uh, another question is, how, before this in Corinthians, in like uh, chapter 11, it gives instructions for women prophesying in church. And my question is, how do you prophesy and pray as women without speaking in church? Can anybody here prophesy and pray without speaking to a church so that they can hear you? I think that's going to be a very difficult challenge. Uh, so some more questions I have if this isn't uh, cultural. Can we go on to the next part? Is there a next part? Yes, there is. All right, anyways, I have them right here. Another, another question I have is um, what do you do about women uh, who po composed parts of Scripture. There we go. What do you do about women who composed parts of Scripture? Because we see a lot of passages like in Luke and Exodus and Judges where Scriptures are actually recording the words of women. And how many of you guys would say, I stand on the authority of Scripture? Uh, I believe in the words of Scripture. I believe they are inspired. I stand in the authority. Well, what do we do about the parts of Scripture that are actually recordings of women's words? Because if we say that these words have authority over me, we're acknowledging that words that women spoke and that are being recited publicly now have authority over me. So really, you're sitting under the words and the authority of a woman. Just a question that I propose, and I'm, I'm willing to have this conversation with people, but if we believe that this is cultural, cultural, or I mean timeless and not cultural, what do we do with this? But as we learn about like what's called proof texting or taking things out of context, it's not good to just look at one part of the scripture. We need to see, is this an exception or is this part of a bigger theme? And so another question that I want to ask is this, what does the majority of scripture promote? And I think that's an important question for us to ask. What does the majority of Scripture promote? So if you believe in the Scriptures, there are some 
examples of women ministers that we need to wrestle with. And we need to understand the culture and the context of what is going on in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So some characters in the Bible who are women ministers really mean we have to discuss and look at what is going on here. So do you guys want to see some examples of women ministers in the scriptures? I know I do. I think this is super powerful. So one person I want to talk about is Priscilla. This is from Acts 18. Uh, 14 through 26. So, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, that same city we were just talking about. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. So this is someone who understood scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he had spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. So this is someone who's teaching about Jesus. And though he only knew the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So we see Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple, and they explain to a preacher the scriptures more adequately. Actually, Pastor Namritha and I, we are very much inspired by this husband and wife ministry team, and we love doing ministry together. And so that's just one example. So we see teaching going on in the New Testament. Another one. Philip's daughters in Acts 21, 8 through 9. Leaving the next day, we reached Assyria and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Wow, so another example. Daughters who prophesy and are single, Carlin, wherever you are. (laughs) (laughs) And so how do you prophesy without speaking? And this is the New Testament. And this is happening in the scriptures. Another one, Junia and Phoebe. And I'm going to, I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to really pronounce some things in grieving ways. (laughs) All right, so Junia and Phoebe. In Romans 16, this is to you. And I want you to see if Paul here mentions more men ministers or women ministers. So I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church, and anybody help me? Centre, Alan Theobald? Centre, yep. I ask you to receive her, her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla, we just talked about her, and Aquila, my co-workers. Notice how he mentions the girl first. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So their church met at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Any Asians in the house today? People say I'm not Asian. I'm Asian. Where's Sri Lanka? Where's India? It's in Asia. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> greet, in verse 6, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Check this out. This is powerful. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Junia is a female name. So what is going on here? All right, so did Paul name more female ministers or male ministers in this passage? Who votes male ministers? Who votes female? Isn't that crazy? So obviously Paul hasn't read his own scriptures, right? 
I think he has. And so there's more boys and girls in this. All right, another one. In the Old Testament, in Deborah, or in Judges 4, there's a leader. It says this, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel all that time. And so we have a woman who is leading all of Israel at that time, according to this scripture. That's crazy. And, and look at Judges 5. There's a whole chapter that she was part of writing. Another one, Yoidia, in Philippians 4, 2 through 3. I plead with Yoidia and I plead with Sintek to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women <laughs> since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And so there's just so many more scriptures we can talk about. Holda, Esther, Anna. And so I wrote it like this. There are more, can we put this quote? There are more biblical references showcasing women in ministry than verses permitting them not to speak. If the women in the Bible were leading, teaching, evangelizing, and prophesying, why can't today's women do the same, right? If we can find examples in the Bible of women prophesying, teaching, being called apostles, pastoring churches in their home, I mean, doing all these things. Why can't our women do the same? And that's why I love Kalos Church, because our women are on fire. You guys are leading and preaching and just dominating and doing amazing things following the example of these women in the scriptures. Amen? And so if they did it in the Bible, why can't they do it today? And so I, I just think that question needs to be answered. But the biggest scriptural example for me as an example is something that Jesus did, and it's in Matthew 28, 5 through 8. A lot of scripture, but I just want to make this case pretty clear from the Bible. Jesus, right, the reason we're here, we want to make known the beauty of Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. He is a perfect man. He suffers a criminal's death. He overcomes death. He rises from the dead and gives us a chance at overcoming death ourselves. And just so you know, if you're not Christian and you're living in death, I want to let you know Jesus overcame death so that you can have life and life abundantly. Take advantage of that today. But Jesus conquers death, and the first person he has shared the message of his resurrection, it's amazing. In Matthew 28, the scriptures say this. This is right after Jesus resurrects. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So the first people to share about the resurrection were women. Powerful. Luke 24, 9 through 11. So it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So Jesus Christ overcomes death. He resurrects. And where are all his disciples, the men who are his disciples? They were afraid. <laughs> they were hiding. But come on, somebody. The women went to the tomb. 
They knew that Jesus said, I would die, and three days later, I was going to resurrect. I'm going to overcome death. I'm going to be the new template for all of us to experience life. And while the men were afraid, the men were hiding, it was the women who went to the tomb and were trusted to share this message and give instructions to the rest of the apostles. So really, these were the first apostles. Really, if apostles mean sent once, the first people to be sent and share the message of the resurrection are women. Amen. The first people to ever preach the full gospel of the resurrection were women. And if these women can do it, why can't our women? Amen. And so this is something I'm really passionate about. Uh, Another way I want to phrase it is like this. Every person Check this out. Every person who shares the news of Jesus' resurrection is following in the footsteps of a woman. (laughs) It's a powerful statement. (laughs) Let me say it again. Every person who shares the news of Jesus' resurrection is following in the footsteps of women. Y'all quiet now. (laughs) Uh, So I just love that Jesus trusted women who couldn't even have their testimony uh, worth anything in a court, he trusted them with the message of resurrection. So Jesus told a woman to spread the good news of his resurrection, but we won't let a woman preach in the pulpit. A young woman carried the body and blood of Jesus within her for nine months, but we won't let a woman serve communion, representing the body and blood of Christ. It's powerful. Dear church, I like this. I saw this on the internet. Dear church, Jesus protected women empowered women, honored women publicly, released the voice of women, was funded by women, celebrated women by name, respected women, and spoke of women as examples to follow. Can I get an amen? And so I just love Jesus. This, he's just totally radical. In a place where women were a little above property, he trusts them first with the greatest message of all time. That's our Jesus, bringing dignity to all people, amen? Bringing dignity to everybody. And he's just unpacking a whole new template for how we are to live as kingdom people. Galatians 3.26 says it like this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I just love this throughout Scripture. The first Christian sermon in Acts 2, it says in verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Can you guys say sons and daughters? So this is the first New Testament Christian sermon that's quoting an Old Testament Bible verse saying, Both men and women will prophesy, and it's really hard to prophesy without speaking. Even in verse 18, it says, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So my third thing I just want to say is this. There's a whole world to reach, so let the women preach. (laughs) Can I say it again? (laughs) There's a whole world to reach, so let the women preach. And all my men and women said, (laughs) amen. And you know what? I just want to issue a declaration here. 
If you know awesome women teachers and leaders at other churches, and those churches don't want them teaching and leading, we'll take your women. <laughs> we'll take them. We'll take the best of your leaders. We'll take the best of your teachers. We'll take the best of your preachers. If you don't have a place for them to walk in their gifts, give them to us. We'll utilize them. Come on, somebody. I just am so passionate about this. We'll take them. So spread the word. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I just want to share this quick story, and then I'm actually going to have Pastor Amritha pray for all of us. Uh, and uh, it, it, there's, this, there's this girl. I heard this pastor talking about a girl in his ministry in Minnesota, and she said, Pastor, will you please pray for me? Because the devil is really tempting me. The devil is just really uh, coming at me from all sorts of angles. I have these thoughts. I don't know what to do with them. And he said, well, what, what is happening? What's going on? Well, I keep on, when I close my eyes, I keep on getting these images, these pictures, where I see myself preaching the gospel to tons of people, and they're falling in love with Jesus, and people's marriages are being restored and hope is being lifted up and the devil has really tempted me to to bring hope to people and love to people and preach the gospel because I know the scriptures say that women can't preach and he said hey let, let's talk and he he showcased all these examples in the scriptures of women who had the same pictures as you did except for they were recorded in the bible and he said you know what that that's you're confusing god and the devil that that's not god that's tempting, or that's not the devil that's tempting you to preach the gospel. <laughs> that's, isn't it crazy that we have to say that, though? It's not the devil that's tempting you to preach the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. And just hearing that and being walked through the scriptures, she was free, and shackles came off, and chains came off. And Ben, you guys can start playing. Uh, and so I just believe that there are some women here that you've had a gift You've had a calling on your life. You've felt a ministry potential, but you've felt like you've had to squash that. And my prayer is that in this environment, that you would be set free, that those chains would come off, and you would be all that God has called you to be. Because in this day and age, as New Testament Christians, I don't want preachers because of whether they're white or black, because they're rich or poor, because they're male or female. I want some mighty people of God who love Jesus, who have been called, who have character, who have the giftings, who have been affirmed, so that they can be released to make known the beauty of Jesus. And women, today can be your day of freedom. Men, today can be your day of freedom and empowering women to be all that God has called them to be. Amen. How frustrating would it be to have a gift and never be able to use it? Some of the most critical people in church are those who have been called to be a pastor but said no or said they couldn't and now they see how the church can get better but they can't do anything about it. And that's so frustrating and it robs not only women but it robs the church of great impact. And so I think today is the day of freedom. Today is the day of empowering our women. Today is the day where we don't cut out half of our best force in the church, but we make this possible so people can be all that they can be, that sons and daughters would prophesy, that we would see God advance and we would say, hey, let's do this. 
Let's let heaven come to earth. Let's proclaim the greatest message of all time, that Jesus has overcome death. Just like Mary proclaimed to the disciples, Jesus isn't in the tomb. He's alive. He's alive. And he didn't just come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And disciples, Jesus is alive. Let's tell the whole world. Let's tell the whole world. And I just say that to our women. Let's tell the whole world the greatest message ever. Amen. Let's make this something powerful. Pastor Amritha, will you come up over here? And let's just pray over our women. So if, hey, if you want to receive this prayer, I just ask that you just put out your hands like a sign of surrender. And men, I just say, this isn't just a message for women. If you falsely believe these scriptures, and we can debate. This doesn't have to mean just me saying my case. We can have a conversation. But if you're saying, you know what, I never saw these scriptures like that before, and I want to be open to women preaching, I want to be open to empowering them, uh, I want you to receive this prayer. Because if you believe this, it's our responsibility to make sure this message gets out. So Pastor Amitha, would you pray for us? Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this word. God, I thank you for your scriptures. Lord, I thank you for the man or woman in this church that submitted this question and is wanting to follow your scriptures. And Lord, this morning it is our heart to not just preach and share something that we believe that might not be true. God, we want to follow the scriptures. Lord, we stand on the word of God. And Lord, in this moment as a woman, God, that you have empowered, that you have set free, that you have forgiven. I'm so humble in this moment. God, I recognize that there are women that have gone before me, Lord Jesus, who have stood up on stages at church when people walked out because she was on stage. Lord, I thank you for the women, Priscilla. I thank you for Aquila who empowered her. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you empowered women and you empowered men. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for the people that have gone before me even, that I could stand here, that I could look at my girlfriends, and I could say, you've got something inside of you that God is speaking to you, and you can believe in it, and you can believe that the scriptures back you up as a woman. So Lord, for the women in this room right now who have felt so crushed by the scriptures that say women should not speak, we lift We lift those ladies up to you right now. For the women who have been told, but felt something so different on the inside, who have been told that they they shouldn't go after the very gift and call that you've put inside of them, because they are less than. Father, I pray for them right now, and I pray that you would break off those chains and that the lies would become truth this morning in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for men and women both who are searching your scriptures, who long to follow after you, Lord, I just pray that there would be even just more of a deep clarity and a deep peace in our hearts, God, that you empower both men and women, Jesus, to share about the beauty and the life and the power of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, here in this place, we glorify the name of Jesus. We look to you. We fix our eyes on you, God. And, Father, we want to represent so accurately, so truthfully who you are. And you, God, you empower both men and women in the church. So, Lord, we thank you for that. 
And thank you for your healing. And thank you for your freedom. And thank you that chains can be broken. And I pray that the dreams that have been inside women's hearts and men's hearts in this room would live again, God. That you would breathe on those things again. The things that maybe we hid, the times that we've shied away, the times when we've been so hurt, the times when we've been told something so different. Lord, I pray that you would breathe again on those dreams and those call and that call and those gifts, Father. And Lord, we just say that like the women who walked toward the tomb. Lord, we say that we will so boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ as men and women. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can follow after your truth and your scriptures. So we seal this moment. We seal this prayer in the name of Jesus. And everybody, men and women, said together. Amen. 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 Aren't you guys thankful we have Pastor Amritha here? Powerful woman of God. Man. And I, I just want to say, women, uh, you have a place to use your gifts at Kalos Church. I'm excited to release more women pastors, preachers, and leaders. It's coming. It's exciting. There's a place for you because, you know, just like Adam and Eve, they, they were given the task of ruling the garden together. And I just believe we rule best when we rule together. It's just amazing to me that a woman can lead a billion dollar industry, walk into a church and not have a vote or be able to speak. But at Kalos Church, we want to look at the wholeness of the scriptures. So if you disagree with us, don't just walk out. That doesn't help unity. If you disagree, let's have a conversation. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up to our feet and lift our eyes to Jesus and bring it back to the reckless love of who he is, and then we'll close out. Let's sing.
So dear Jesus, thank you so much for empowering all of us, for bringing dignity to all people. Lord, I just pray that your word would take root. And you know, hey, we've been talking about this subject, but I don't want to leave without saying this. If you're in this place and you're not following Jesus, you're living in death and you're not experiencing life and life abundantly, you're like saying, I need a fresh start, I need forgiveness, I need hope. Man, the best decision I ever made in my life was this decision to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm sick of leading myself. I need you. I went from being suicidal and so depressed and in such a mess to feeling like I actually have purpose and hope in this life. And saying, Jesus, I, I want you. I surrender to you. is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And if you're in this place and you're just saying, I want to surrender my life to God, whether it's for the first time or a renewal, I'm going to give you an opportunity for that. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you're saying, Pastor Pradeepin, please pray for me. On the count of three, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? One, two, three. Just raise it so I can see it. Pastor Pradeepin, pray for me. Awesome. Awesome. There's still time. If you're saying, I want to surrender to Jesus. I see a couple people already. Awesome. Well, I, I have a prayer that I want us to pray together, especially for those of you who have raised your hand. And this isn't a magic spell or anything just a way to articulate maybe what's going on in your heart. So let's pray this prayer on the screen all together at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause?